Aloha, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, where I was told I don't say the show name enough. Today we are speaking with Lane Kawaoka about how to correctly invest in and manage rental properties. Forget whatever anyone has told you on the subject, unless they're literally billionaires. Because Lane currently owns over 6,500 properties valued well into the hundreds of millions of dollars. Before we get too deep into the show, I wanted to recognize my international audience and the current contest they are running against one another to become my number one listening country. It's been kind of crazy to see the global numbers rise so much that they now have a real hold against the US listener base. Also, the Q&A episode is fast approaching. Don't forget to send in all your questions. I am starting to see some themes so far. You can listen after the interview for all that and more. But for now, let's pool all our money together and slingshot into the 1%. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Lane Kawaoka. Hey, thanks for having me. Hello, everybody. Aloha. Aloha. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I am a real estate syndicator. I currently own 6,500 rental properties, but you know, I think what we're going to try and demystify is, well, how do you get started buying rental properties and to quit your day job? You know, I started back in 2009, bought my first rental property, and then you know, we focus on buy and hold rental properties. Yeah, that is definitely uh, the gist of what I've gotten from some of the listener questions. Uh, like the very first one, how did you get into this? Yeah, so the first property I bought was a place to live in. And, you know, I think that's why I started to do my podcast, do what I do, because I just realized there was a lot of bad financial advice out there. Invest in your 401ks, invest in mutual funds, do this, uh, buy your house to live in. A lot of it is just, you know, not what the wealthy do. And starting out, I bought a house to live in. And then because I was traveling around for work all the time as a young engineer, I decided to rent it out and make a little bit of money. And then I realized, wow, this is a lot of money doing this. And if I just did this a few more times, I'll be able to quit my day job, fire my boss. You know, it got a little more sophisticated as time went along, started to learn different techniques. And like, I think the, the biggest thing for investors is like buying the right properties at cash flow you know, that has a rent to value ratio of 1%, where you take the monthly rents divided by the purchase price. Look for something one percent or higher. Okay, so is this something you kind of you know really have to penny pinch to do, um, or is it actually more feasible than most people think? Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe we'll back up, right? Like, I think a lot of people when they think of real estate investing, they think of house slippers and wholesaling houses. To me, that's what you do when you don't have money. Right? A lot of my clients today are. You know, they get paid pretty well at their jobs. They might be engineers, doctors, lawyers, dentists, accountants. They make professional wages and they're pretty decent with their money. You know, they can save twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars plus. If you're able to do that, you can put down, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars as a down payment on a house. You know, a lot of places in the country where you're buying a pretty decent house and you can rent it out for a thousand dollars a month. And, you know, so we're kind of more of a passive real estate investor club. Um, you need money, though, right? You need to put down that 20% down payment. So if you're somebody who is just 
you know, needs to go find a job to make some money, or maybe you make a decent amount of money and you just need to save a little bit better. You, know, you really got to work on that first. Sure. And that sounds like kind of the best advice to start somewhere, you know, where they can, they can save. And on that front, I had someone ask if it was wrong to rent or buy, or if one was better than the other. Yeah. I mean, it depends on who you are, right? Like if you're like me and most of my, you know, my tribe who are really good savers with their money, it's much better to just take that down payment and go buy several rental properties with it instead of buying your primary residence. Your money barely grows in your primary residence where it can grow multiplied and you can get cash flow and the tenants paying down your mortgage for you in a rental property. But, you know, that said, most people don't make more than fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year. They spend more than they make. And therefore a house becomes a forced piggy bank. Making that monthly mortgage payment is a way to trick themselves into saving money. Which I would probably argue might be ninety, ninety five percent of the population out there. But if you're somebody again that is pretty decent with their money, I mean go out there and invest and don't, and rent the place that you live in. Yeah, so is that I mean, is that feasible, like something I could do, say I owned where I live, would it be better for me to, you know, rent this place out for more than obviously I have my mortgage for and then find somewhere cheaper? Yeah. Well, I mean, it doesn't really matter what your mortgage is. That's kind of an arbitrary number. Right? What it, the, the question is, well, how much money do you have in terms of equity in that house? You know, your down payment or maybe your pro- price of your property went up. And you can take that money and what else can you buy with it with 20% down payment? People need to go do the math on their own. And, you know, most likely, in most cases, people can probably make a lot more money in, with that equity in other rental properties. This is where we work with a lot of clients. You know, people will have, you know, paid off houses or rental properties where they have lazy debt equity. And as an investor, it's the, the biggest thing is just getting this equity moving. It doesn't need to be making a high, high rate of return. But get, the first step for a lot of people is getting that lazy equity, not doing anything, making something. So is that kind of um, like you refinance your house and you take the, the money, you know, the equity that you have, and you kind of just invest that into other properties? Uh, yeah, that, sorry, that's sorry, an option. Sorry, some of these are dumb. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, these are the questions, right? I think a lot of people ask because it's very counterintuitive that what we're all taught. We're all taught to pay off debt, right? Yeah. Pay off your house. You, know, you don't want to owe anybody anything, right? But that's not what the wealthy do and that's not what banks do, right? Banks and wealthy people use debt like a tool. And in this case, once you have a little bit of equity, what I would suggest, I mean, doing a refinance, pulling out the equity is one option. I you know, a lot, what a lot of people do, and I recommend first when you're starting out, is get a HELOC on your property. You don't have to pay any fees, and it's sort of reversible. You can put it right back. Get a, get some money out via that, a HELOC, and then you know, invest in some rental properties as a down payment, and then you're moving from there. And eventually, you'll probably just sell the property, refinance it, or you go and raid your retirement accounts, which it is to me is. You know, the second big aha moment that I had, right? Like when, when I was making money in my rental property, I was making like 20 to 30% returns easily. 
people don't believe me, they can go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash returns and see the, the whiteboard video I did kind of outlining all the numbers. But, you know, as a young 20-year-old kid, I was like, well, why the heck would I want to put my money in this 401k stuff, make an 8 to 10%? And then I realized the whole sham that the whole financial system was where we're all just tricked into buying these retail investments where you know, the Wall Street takes all our money and hidden fees, carried interests. And, you know, th this is why people have to work for 30, 40, 50 years to maybe retire on bleak retirement. Yeah, absolutely. And it it was one thing that you said that just kind of clicked, you know, right away with me is this isn't what the rich do. It's not what banks do. Uh, and that's very true because the bank, you know, loans money to you and, you know, you have a higher rate of paying them back. It's not a whole lot different than if you own a property and someone's paying more than, you know, what you're putting out. Um, right. It's, it's pretty... a mindset thing though, right? Like people aren't comfortable with that. And I get it. I was there at one time. But, you know, once you start to do it more, you start to get more confident. It's just essentially you're just playing a arbitrage game of interests. Yeah. So if you're trying to build up this, you know, any kind of portfolio, I suppose, but if you're trying to build this up, if you have, you know, little money or little time, uh, is there a best way to go about it? Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of the profile that we work with, right? I mean, that's where you're just buying a simple turnkey rental. You know, there, there are folks out there that will rehab beat up properties, but make it brand new for you. New HVAC, new roof, new plumbing, new flooring, new paint. Pretty much all the major components are fixed up brand new to tenant grade standards, right? You know, kind of more indestructible materials for the tenants who are a little bit more rough on it. You know, those, these things are called turnkey rentals. Sometimes they'll even put a tenant in there for you and you can kind of just take it over like a bunch of training wheels for investors. That's a great way to get started. That's how I got started moving down this path initially. But then, you know, for higher net worth investors, especially accredited investors, you know, that's where private placements and syndications come in, where you just invest passively. Um, the beauty is you don't have too much li legal liability. You're not the co-signer of the debt. And you don't have to do, you don't do absolutely anything. Whereas the rental property, the turnkey rental, you still have to interact with your property manager who is doing a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of vetting tenants, collecting rents, solving problems, fixing stuff that breaks. And you still got to manage them when you have that rental property. But with a, with a syndication, you know, you just send in your money and you do nothing, cash your checks. Yeah. So. I'll, I'll just go one and then the other because I have questions in both. But a turnkey rental, I mean, it sounds like that's kind of the uh, the standard everyone thinks about, right? Like it's a ready-to-live-in house and, you know, you hand someone the key and they walk in, correct? Right, right. And it's you're, you overpay a little bit by, you know, having that thing all ready to go for you. The nice thing is you don't have to worry about too many things breaking initially. And... You're doing a heck of a lot better than the regular retail investment, stock market, mutual funds, for sure. And you're getting the great tax benefits, too, of rental real estate. Um, so, you know, great way to get started, in my opinion. I mean, if people want to get my free uh, light guide, they can go to simplepassivecastle.com slash turnkey and uh, kind of learn more about that for investors. That I would say, like, you know, if you're not a credit investor yet or your net worth is under half a million, I mean, that's a great way to get started. Yeah, absolutely. Was there any, I mean, is that the way you started 
is with the turnkey rental. Yeah, essentially, because I mean, like, I think you you know you hear a lot of people about like rehabbing properties, doing construction scope. I mean, you don't need to do that. Just buy something that's turnkey, ready to go, so you don't have to dick around with that type of stuff. Yeah, absolutely, and I assume you know some people out there are probably nervous about renting this property that they own either like oh they're going to vandalize it or what if something breaks how much am i you know liable for is there a lot really to concern yourself with there well a lot of it is like you know you're you're hiring a property manager who's going to take 10% of the rents to manage all these headaches for you as far as like you know things things will break and tenants will move out and you will have vacancy but that's why it's important to buy the properties that cash flow and that makes sense financially. So you have the buffer to more than account for these mishaps to happen. If people want to download my free analyzer, it's just a simple spreadsheet, but it has really good rules of thumbs of like how much money should you put aside for rents or repairs, vacancy, property management, etc. cetera. Um, this is a rule of thumb, right? Like if you, you know, you're, Buying a hundred thousand dollar house that rents for a thousand dollars, each of my fingers is a hundred bucks. Yeah, ten percent is going to go to the repairs. Stuff is going to break. Ten uh, percent is going to go to your property manager. You should also put aside ten percent for like bigger things to break, like the more capex, like the roof, the plumbing. I mean, this stuff isn't going to break every year, but you should put it away in a savings account just so when it when it happens, when it breaks, you have the money. And then, of course, you're going to pay your debt service, your interest, insurance, taxes. And then you should be left with maybe a couple hundred bucks at the end of it, which we call cash flow. And that's what you use to uh, stock up some more cash and then go buy some more. And then, you know, watch this this thing steamroll on. And if you do it that way, I mean, how long, how long in between can you utilize that cash to kind of get the next thing running? You know, if you have 200 bucks a month, We'll just say, how long before I can pick up another property? Do I have to kind of just get the down payment for another thing, or yeah, you're just you're just limited to how much money you have, and that's when I started out. I mean, I I made a pretty decent salary. I was able to save thirty, forty, fifty thousand right out of college. So I mean, I could buy a house every year if I wanted. Um, but the cool thing is, you know, once you've done this for a while, maybe you can buy two properties every year, and things really start to steamroll on you on um you know that's how i've got into six thousand plus units today and you know when you have professional property management running you know it's it's relatively lower headaches um, despite what you think i think you hear a lot of people doing it the wrong way where they they want to be a cheapskate and save on the property management fee and keep that to themselves but you know those are the people that are unable to scale and they're the more mom and paw investors you know you really want to focus on being an investor not on landlord. And this is the framework that I think a lot of people have it wrong in terms of investing, right? They teach you to put your money into all these Wall Street products, and which by the way, just profits the large Wall Street companies, right? Um, but, you know, put your money in and then you have this big pile of cash when you're old and then you can live off the pile of cash. But you don't want to do that because if you keep doing that, you're going to run out of your pile at some point. What you want to be doing is taking that pile of cash and converting it to streams of cash flow. But this is where the, the there's a paradigm differential because what we try and do is we reverse this. What we're doing is we're building mini streams of passive cash flow today. And the cool thing is while we're still working our day jobs, we don't need to eat 
those streams of income. Yeah. But we take those streams of income along with the passive cash, the cash flow that we're working our butts off to make now to go buy and make more and more cash flow pills or cash flow babies, whatever your mini pensions, whatever you want to call it to accelerate this wealth building process. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of the difference between, you know, the turnkey and what you do, which you've referenced, you know, is syndication. Just kind of describe that for anyone listening, because I'm sure most people are not familiar with it. Yeah. So syndications are, think of it as a group of investors, maybe a dozen or a couple hundred investors get together. They throw in um, the money for the down payment, the rehab, and a select few investors will lead the venture. Um, the best analogy I like to use for this is kind of like an airplane, right? You have the in the cockpit, you have the pilots, the co-pilots. They're the ones finding the deal, using the relationships to get the best pricing, finding the, the, the staff to manage it, um, putting the loans in their own names so that none of the debt goes into the past investors' names, um, doing everything. The past investors are the people in coach. They pay to get on the plane, and they sit down, and they go to sleep, cash your checks. The, the issue there is like you know you need to know what you're investing in. You need, your network is your net worth, especially more of a high net worth investor and finding good people to trust with your money. Um, that's very important. But, you know, a lot of deals are owned by in this arrangement where passive investors are diversified over multiple, multiple projects and geographic locations, different asset classes. You know, we like apartments, self-storage, mobile home parks, um, you know, a lot of a lot of different things you can invest in using this type of format. Yeah, it kind of seems like everything under the sun, um, where people, you know, normally think like, "Oh, it's it's a house or an apartment, that's it." And you're like, "Well, that's not it, because there is self storage, there are RV parks, there are other options that have passive income that you know just require that investment to get into." Right. And and it seems like you're kind of almost. If this was, you know, the casual group, this would be like investing with your friends, you know, like uh, you and your work friends, like all go in and buy one thing together and then someone manages it and takes, you know, a little more and then everybody else just kind of benefits from having been a part of the, the crew to do it. Exactly. Exactly. It's like a like mini co-op or like a country club deal. I mean, this is, this is the country club deals. Um, but a lot of it's held together, not with like a little dinky JV agreement, but a little bit more formidable. Like, you know, a lot of this is uh, registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission, a lot of heavy documentation that goes along with it. Gotcha. So say I have money in the bank account and I want to get involved in something, you know, like a syndication. Um, do I, you know, come to you and I just say like, hey, I have twenty thousand dollars here in my bank account what can i do with it yeah i mean that's the important thing is just go out there interact with people that are in the industry and figure out well, who's legit out there right i mean past performance is very key in this industry there's a lot of people out there that are on their first several dozen or dozen deals um maybe not the best people since they don't have the track record but you know, I think this is the hard part, right? Like I, when I was starting to do this, my parents never had rental properties. None of my friends or family did. So, I mean, well, who do you trust to help you buy a rental property or let alone go into a syndication deal? 
Um, and this is why your network is, you know, essentially it's your network. Yeah. And so I assume there's kind of groups out here who do this commercially, I guess on the, the larger scale. Yeah. I mean, I, there, there are, I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of private equity groups that kind of do this. Um, but I think the first step is always just to get educated, right? Like, you know, if you're starting out, maybe a little rental property is the way to kind of learn this, right? Because when you open up a pitch deck, if you've never owned rental real estate before, you've never invested in anything outside of the Wall Street you know, fun house, may not make the right decision, right? So, I mean, owning rental real estate, you kind of start to understand the business a little bit. Um, and I think that's the first step. You know, check out my podcast about passive cash flow. I mean, that's, I kind of told how to people initially how to buy little rental properties, especially remotely, because a lot of people will live in high priced areas like California, Seattle, Hawaii, New York. And we don't invest in places like that. We invest in more secondary and tertiary markets like Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis, Kansas City. Little Rock, um, places where the rent-to-value ratios make sense. And has that kind of had a large change since they're based just on other guests I've talked to? It seems like a lot of people have kind of moved out of major cities because they can remote work now. Have you seen a, a large impact on kind of the the places you have during this time? Um, I mean, it, things are always changing, but they move very slowly in our world, right? Real estate, very, this is why we like it. It's very slow and boring. You know, people like are moving away from California, going to Texas, Arizona, in droves. And a lot of what we like to do is we like to also invest in more red states because, you know, nothing politically, but when we're the landlord, we like the laws to be on our side. And typically the red states are a little bit more economically growing focused, especially for the lower middle class uh, sector that we kind of focus in on. You know, we don't go to the high end stuff because the returns don't make sense. And we don't go to the low end because it's, it's kind of a difficult headache to kind of deal with those lower class tenants. We kind of stay in this lower middle class from uh, rents between $600 a month to about $1,400 a month rent. That seems very reasonable. I live in a blue state in Oregon now, and our rents over the last couple of years have just dramatically gone up. You know, when I was looking to buy a place, they were like, oh yeah, you're out of pocket every month's probably going to be a thousand dollars towards a mortgage. And now I see places, you know, in my city that are like, oh, our rent is 2100 and that's just because that's what the competitive price is now around us right um, right and that, i mean a lot of that has to do with like the rent to value ratio like we just don't buy places like that the best states that we like are arizona texas alabama georgia the carolinas florida like to me those five states are going to kick the butt of the other 45 any day yeah i can see that so how much money should i have if I'm going to get involved in kind of the syndication deal instead of a turnkey? Um, it, it kind of differs for every person, right? Like, I mean, you're not going to get invited to come unless you have a decent amount of net worth. Let's put it like that. Sure. Um, syndicators, they don't want to really interact with investors investing a huge sum of their net worth. What I normally tell my folks is, or what I kind of 
practice is like, I don't want to have more than 5% of my network into any one particular deal right, for diversification's sake. But yeah, I mean, you know, if, if your net worth is under a quarter million, I mean, start off with a rental property first, right? Um, but if, you know, if you're more of an accredited investor, kind of move more towards that, you know, that's kind of where a lot of the minimums for these types of syndicated deals are about $50,000. Okay. Say I throw $50,000 uh, into one of these deals. How long before I recoup that amount of money? Uh, depends on the deal, right? I mean, you can syndicate a pizza franchise. You can syndicate a very slow-moving piece of real estate. I mean, it could be anywhere from you know a month to 10, 20 years, right? But typically... You know, in a situation where you're buying an apartment that's already stabilized and cash flowing, and you're trying to bump the rents up by, you know, improving the units as tenants naturally move out. Um, again, you know, if you were a landlord, you kind of know that tenants typically move in and out. But I mean, maybe if you're, if you, when we were all younger, right, we owned, lived in apartments, we all kind of were transitory. Um, Therefore, we kind of know that most people will kind of churn in and out of the whole apartment complex in about a couple of years, two, three years on average. So with that thought process, you know, two, two to three years to go to the units, maybe a couple of years to stabilize the assets. So, you know, in a lot of cases, three to seven years in that time horizon. Nice. I mean, it's definitely, there's a reason, right, that uh, your, your contract for renting an apartment is a one-year contract in most places. Because they're like, at the end of the year, you're probably going somewhere else. Yeah. And, um, and that's like, you know, it, real estate investors know that, you know, this is not a get rich quick scheme, right? It takes a while. But once it does, I mean, it really starts to move on you and creates long term sustainable wealth. Um, and then we really want to talk about like the taxes, right? Like the cool thing about a lot of these investments is you don't pay taxes on it, really because it's offset by the paper losses of the real estate. And this is why, I mean, I would much rather get 50% returns on my money in real estate than 150, 100% returns in crypto, because I got to pay taxes on them. Right? At the end of the day, it's not really much you, what your returns were, it's what you kept at the end of the day. Sure. I know that's definitely big right now. Um, a lot of people it seems like are just investing in general, like it's become so much more popular to just everyone does it like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to Starbucks and my barista is going to talk to me about investing in Bitcoin. But a lot of people don't realize when you sell that, you know, you pay like a 40 percent tax. Yeah, let them do it because I sure don't pay taxes. <laughs> I mean, people can go on my website, simplepassivecashflow.com slash tax. I mean, the, the thing is that the wealthy people don't pay tax because they drive their adjusted gross income way down with their, their losses from the real estate side. Um, there's a thing called real estate professional status or some hoops to jump through in there. But, you know, once you're able to use the passive losses to lower your income, I mean, you know, it does good, huge things for like high income earners. You know, they, they all talk about there's like a $400,000 you know, highest tax bracket. Well, to me, I mean, if you are able to use your losses to lower your income, you'll never be in that stratosphere. You won't pay taxes. Yeah. And it sounds like that's one of those, you know, as you get more and more invested, 
you're going to learn more about that tax system. And maybe is that something, if I have my first turnkey, uh, should I go to an accountant to try and figure out my taxes? I mean, it's they're going to just do the paperwork for you, right? I mean, you but you need to be empowered as an investor on how this stuff works. And it's really not that difficult. I mean, it's probably a 10, 15 minute read on my website, how it kind of works. Um, real estate can be deducted on paper. You just need to give the forms to your accountant and they, they shouldn't know how to do it. Um, that said, when people start working with us, 95% of them have to fire their CPA because the CPAs don't know how to do it. But you know, th that's why we always say like, you're the person empowered to needs to be educated so you can guide your accountant the right way. You, you may not know how to do what forms to put in, what numbers to put where, but you need to know where the ship is going. Sure. And that's kind of, you know, where this podcast sits, which is hopefully after these kind of interviews, you have a pretty healthy base of knowledge. Um, you're not the expert, but you know, you can at least hold your conversation pretty well with the information you have. Right. Uh, I mean, the first important. step is like knowing what you don't know, right? Asking, knowing what questions to ask, first of all, because most people think that the IRS tax code, like one or two pages is like for most people paying taxes, you know, pay a whole lot of taxes, but the rest of the gazillion pages is ways that the IRS wants you to put your money in different places. And when you follow what the IRS wants you to do, uh, you don't pay taxes, you follow their incentives. Um, so I mean, that's the important ways. I mean, there's a gazillion taxes. I don't, I don't read all the, I don't read any of that stuff. <laughs> But I know who, who to follow, and I have the people around me to advise me and tip me off on what are the things that I should be focusing in on. Yeah, you've got the couple of pages in that tax code that applies to you. Yeah, and you're like the rest of that is for somebody else. <laughs> right. I know what art like you know, five hundred word articles to read. I know what to Google. I know, you know, it, it's easy, right? But I think in a lot of things, it's like. If things aren't simple, people get lost in the minutia. Okay. But I think what I, I don't know, one of my big pet peeves and why I made simple passive cash flow is like a lot of this isn't very hard. It's not super complicated. That's what that's what all the Wall Street companies want you to think. Oh, this is really complicated. You need to trust us and our IVB employees to figure out where to put your money. No, yeah. it's simple. Just buy a rental property, get a property manager, and then rinse, wash, repeat, several of them, and then you'll be financially free a fraction of the time than most people. Yeah, eventually you kind of get to that, uh, I mean, where everyone wants to get, which is the early retirement. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people, they to, they say that you can do index funds, in my opinion. I think real estate's a lot better returns and a lot safer. Um, but you know, I think that's where it's hard in the beginning because you don't know who to trust, right? But my, my one thing is like only take financial advice from people who are financially free. And a lot of times they're not, they're not your accountant, they're not your parents, they're not your coworkers. Like you don't want to take it back at financial advice from the guy who's been at the job for 30, 40 years at your, at your day job. That's the last guy you want to be taking financial advice from. Yeah. And that makes sense because a lot of people are like, well, he's, you know, he's 60, he's got all this wisdom. And you're yeah. like, well, he's got all the wrong wisdom. Yeah, you know. <laughs> he's probably great to tell you what not to do. Yeah, 
I mean, it's like CP, a lot of CPAs. They, they don't know how to create wealth because they're stuck in that stupid job. Right? They're still stuck there. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like there's a pretty clear path forward for most people as long as they kind of can keep their nerve about them. Um, yeah, it's it's not going to be an overnight success thing, but I mean, in a lot of my twenties, I just I put away a lot of money, and I I was really good and frugal at that time, and I just bought rental property after rental property after rental property, and then eventually you look up and you're you're in a very different place financially. But and I think the big thing is people need to save twenty thousand dollars to go buy that first house, and then just just slowly improve from there and just keep at the saving thing because really that's what you're limited to this yeah and that's you know how you explained it earlier you take that two hundred dollars of profit a month comes out to you know twenty four hundred a year by the time you add another property onto that now it's 48 and the next year it's you know it just keeps going up like that which if we did that math makes your you know the amount of units you managed uh look very significant <laughs> It's very repeatable and um, yeah, people want, they can check out simplepassivecashflow.com. A lot of my stuff is free on my website. You know, there's, there's a lot of BS out there in terms of the real estate gurus. So I kind of created it just so everybody can get access to a lot of the information on there. But yeah, thanks for having me, Colton. Yeah, absolutely. So you're obviously great at educating people on this and you have your website and podcast, everything set up. I want to make sure, you know, you get a good plug for anyone looking to find you just one more time. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess if people want to get my free audio book, go to simple slash book, get the A to Z part. But if not, just go to simple slash start. That's, that's kind of its homepage. There you go. Hopefully that's a good place for people to start and they take your advice and find a good momentum. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Cool. Thanks Colton. Yeah. Yep. Easy man. Hey, have a weekend. Yeah, you too. Bye. Thanks for listening and supporting the growth of this show by telling your friends and family what you are doing, right? Remember to leave a good review on the show page, which Spotify actually just started doing. So if you're on Spotify, look right below the follow button and there is a little star button. Give us five stars and we'll get real popular. I need a mascot like Smokey the Bear or something. Only you can make this show popular. Someone draw something for us. What's a dumb animal we could use as a mascot? What is a a real just uneducated animal? I'll also be reading some of the iTunes reviews out loud on the air during the Q&A. It's not too late to force me to read some real dumb things. Also, do keep sending me email at dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com. There are only a couple more episodes, and then I'm going to do a listener questions episode for the 25th episode celebration. I can't believe it's been going on that long. Reach out and let me know what burning questions you have and what you want to hear most. I've also got that Patreon.com account up if you haven't heard yet. I'm just going to start putting bloopers and goofs in there, even if no one is subscribed yet. Hopefully that'll change soon. Alright, drumroll effect. No, I still haven't learned that one. Does anyone know any sound wizards? Anyway. The leaderboard is as follows. Number one. The United States. Number two. Canada. But with only a couple listener lead on our number three, 
the United Kingdom. You guys are honestly so close together that it, on a graph, doesn't even look different. Number four, Australia, holding their ground very well, and I am still very proud of you guys. And, in their first appearance on this list, India at number five. So it is official, the Ukraine has been pushed off the leaderboard and all the way down to number seven, behind Iran. Which, if you're in Iran, let me know how exactly I got you listening to me. I am very curious about how I started growing, especially in the Middle East in general, where, honestly, I think I have listeners in every country. Oh, I also forgot, even though I said aloha at the start of this, I am actually in New Orleans if you are listening to this live, and I will be down here until the 16th. So, uh, hit me up. Let's go do something fun. I had a lot of fun with the Florida crew, and now I'm ready to have some fun with the New Orleans crew. But I think that's enough of you all having to hear my voice for right now, so I'll see you in the next episode. Bye bye <laughs>